0: Welcome to Books and Beyond, with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. No, my, hi,
1: my Kia ora. Welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and today Karen joins me in the studio. Kia ora, Karen. Kia ora, Alison. Well, um, when we last. Uh at our last show together a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, definitely in the Joan zone, and we fangirled over Joan Didion's earlier works. Yes, we did. Uh, it was great. And um, but I accident, I was texting Karen um, at around that time, and I accidentally texted to you the words fangirdling, uh, so which was a bit of a Freudian slip. I thought. Um, so, but then I kind of thought, you know what? A fangirl perhaps is uh, a fangirl of a a certain
0: era, a certain... A, a certain era, yes, I like <laughs> that. A <laughs> mature a fangirl. fangirl. <laughs> oh, different way than I put it. I was yes. thinking fangirl of the 50s. I think that... Um, Women of a certain age now are not tying themselves into girdles. I think they're actually speaking their minds, which is probably um, one of the few signs around that we can see in ways in which society has progressed in a positive way.
1: As it should be. Yeah. So anyway, um, since then, I've definitely been in the Jasmine zone um, and I'm speaking about the award-winning author Jasmine Ward and I think you've been a bit of a Jesmyn fangirl too haven't yes you? Yeah. so anyway she's just a, an amazing author one of the reasons why we chose <laughs> Yes, <laughs> to do a show on Jasmine. That's right, because we're such fan yes girls. Uh, so Jasmine's uh, an American novelist, uh, born in the late seventies, and she grew up in the Mississippi area. And she and her family were victims of Hurricane Katrina in two thousand and eleven. And it's just such an awful story. When their house flooded, they set off in their car to um, try to get to a local church, but they became stranded in a field that, Um, happened to be owned by white people and these white landowners refused to give the ward family shelter in their home it's just unbelievable but eventually another white family took pity on them and and gave them shelter but just such an awful awful experience
0: for people yeah, it is really terrible. But, you know, when we say divided society, when we say America is a divided society, this is what it means. Yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: the book Salvage the Bones, um, it's an account of uh, an, an african American's family experience of Katrina. And so this family live in a fictional town in coastal rural Mississippi. And the t- this fictional town is called Bois Sauvage, which translates... To the wild woods. Now, the author uh, plays with the words salvage, savage, sauvage, and scavenge. It's a really poetic novel, and I think a lot of her writing is very, very much that um, it's got that beautiful poetry to it. So, all these words that the salvage, the savage, etc., they all ...connect to this theme of survival that runs through the novel... This, uh, the fictional family uh, live in such desperate poverty. They're only just surviving, actually. Um, the dads salvages scrap metal and, and the kids spend a lot of time in the woods looking for eggs. They even shoot squirrels and roast them over a fire. The mum's been dead for a long time. Uh, and the novel uh, is narrated from the point of view of a 15-year-old girl called Ish. She's the only female in the family unit, and so she's vulnerable to predatory males in the neighbourhood. But throughout all of this, she's trying to be a mother figure to the family. Um, and Ish is a reader. She finds solace in a book of mythology that that um, is in the house. I think it's their only book. And she reads under the covers of her bed. So, what I love about the book is that Jesmyn Ward weaves the the legends of Jason and Deer and the Argonauts and the Golden Fleece right throughout the book. And I get the feeling that Esh is reading for her life. Uh, as I say, this po- poetic writing, she says, "My heart is a wounded bird, beating its wings against the cage of my ribs." It's it's so beautiful, um, and now when the hurricane hits and the, the floods come, um, she says that the rain is heavy, endless, and hits the roof in quick crashing waves. And the family, you know, this is what we saw on the TV news at the time. They become stranded on the roof of their house. And um, I couldn't help thinking through all of this. There was no one in authority to help them.
0: Where, where was the help? Well, the help does need to be ordered from high up. And as I recall, um, George Bush was at a photo op when they came in with the news of Hurricane Katrina. And he wouldn't even leave his photo op until he'd finished it to his satisfaction. And, you know, now we have, we had Puerto Rico and Donald Trump ignoring yeah. Totally, except for tossing paper towels at the crowds and lying about what help they'd been given. And, um, you know, it's just, it goes on. It's this um, instrumentalization of people's fear is the only thing that Trump is using. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. using these bad news for, like the the famous hurricane that didn't even strike Louisiana that he was saying would. He drove um, us on it's him. It's all okay. political. It's terrible. It's absolutely. It's absolutely terrible. Terrible. Yeah.
1: So, um... Probably a standout moment um, for me in the novel is that after the hurricane passes and Ash makes her way through absolute mountains of debris that are left behind, she finds a piece of coloured glass uh, which has been marbled blue and white, and it's a remnant for her of the disaster. And I'll just read a tiny bit from the book. And she says, "I will tie the glass and stone with string." Hang the shards above my bed, so that they will flash in the dark and tell the story of Katrina, the mother that swept into the gulf and slaughtered. Her chariot was a storm so great and black, the Greeks would say it was harnessed to dragons. She was the murderous mother who cut us to the bone, but left us alive, left us naked and bewildered as wrinkled newborn babies, as blind puppies, as sun-starved newly hatched baby snakes. She left us to salvage. Katrina is the mother we will remember until the next mother with large, merciless hands committed to blood comes. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I hate the word. I I hate the word. I love the word, but because I love it, it's overused. There's so many people do mythic. Oh, mythic. I thought you were going to say wow. No. (laughs) I also love wow. Love and hate Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, this book has had such an effect on me and um, it's one that's definitely going to stay with me for um, quite some time. Um, And it's just, you know, man's inhumanity to man and this this desperation of people. One other thing, I noticed that she's so observational in her writing and one um, observation that she makes is when the family are at the supermarket to buy... Essentials like batteries and bottled water, um, as the the hurricane is approaching, and she observes the white folk um, who fill in their shopping trolleys with massive amounts of stuff, sort of both essential and non-essential. And she she notes the rich ones wear car keys and yacht club shirts, the others wear camouflage and deer prints. And I guess there she's she's describing the society that's divided
0: along economic as well as racial lines isn't she well yeah i mean economic inequality it's all the same thing really because economic inequality derives from discrimination in america it's the lack of opportunities and um you know if i i just want to mention here because um it's a classic that i've been meaning to read for years and i finally did and i really recommend it which is another book about a hurricane another book written by a black woman about a hurricane it's zora neale hurston's book, Their Eyes Were Watching God amazing title. Mm. Um, So this goes way back to 1937. It was a groundbreaking novel in terms of being a black novel and a feminist novel. And it's about the 1928 hurricane. Well, it's about many things as all great novels are, but it it takes place during the great 1928 hurricane in Florida um, when again a lake overflowed and there was flooding and so on. And um, the title, this beautiful title Their Eyes Were Watching God, comes from... um, A scene where they're in their shanties and the 120 an hour mile winds have blown out the last light and they're in the dark and it says they seem to be staring at the dark but their eyes were watching God. Mm. And um, and she has the same thing. They escape. Um, so in Hurricane Katrina, one of the terrible things was the messages that went out, there was a helpline to phone. And when you phoned the helpline, it told you how to get out of town on your car. It didn't mention how to get out on public transport. And black ownership of cars is a third of what it is for white people. And um, in, the, in the book, <clears throat> Their Eyes Were Watching God, they're walking and they walk and walk and walk through these you know with the lake overflowing at their shoulders to head for one high bridge where they know they'll be able to find safety and when they get there it's all full of white people who already knew how to get there and there's no room for them and they have to keep walking, they're holding on to cows to keep from being washed away um, yeah really amazing. It's just awful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so anyway I haven't, thank you for allowing me to put in the plug for (laughs) the classic which I finally read, um which, um, so anyway, back to um, Jasmine Ward. Mm. I haven't read this book that you just mentioned, but I have read her next one, which is Men We Reaped, which you've read too, I believe. Yes, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I found it incredibly impressive. Um, this is the book that says, this is what it's like to be a black man in the American South today. And the title comes from a quote from Harriet Tubman the most famous conductor on the Underground Railroad, um, born a slave, escaped to freedom in the North, risked her life to get hundreds of other slaves out along their secret network of safe houses that would get them to freedom in the North. And it's from her eyewitness description of a Civil War battle where a black military unit made a desperate assault on Confederate forces, unsuccessful, losing almost half their men. And she says, I'm going to read it. Cause it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. We saw the lightning, and that was the guns. We heard the thunder, and that was the big guns. And then we heard the rain falling, and that was the blood falling. And when we came to get in the crops, it was dead men that we reaped. Oh, I've, that makes me shiver. It does. Just, and yeah. I noticed that neither of us said, wow, for that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's really is a moment of silence. Um, and that's what it's like to be a black man in the American South. This over five years, here's what it's like. Over five years, Jessmine Ward lost five men in her life, all violently. She called her book Men We Reaped. And this is the book about what she calls an epidemic, quite rightly. They all died. Basically because of who they were and where they were from because they live with history of racism and economic inequality and the police circling black neighborhoods like vultures, the illegal strip searches, um, minimum wage jobs that offer no way up or out of poverty and all of this leading to an erosion of personal and public responsibility that fosters the dissolution of um, family, uh, family and relationships. And drug use, accidents, suicide become the stuff of daily life, as we see in these stories. So it is a memoir of these men. But she realizes that, I think she actually says this either in the prologue or towards the beginning of the novel, that it needs to be the story of a community she points out i'm pretty sure it was she it might have been (laughs) my mind does play tricks on me sometimes the difference between white people and black people in terms of what agency means um this word that's so so fashionable nowadays and and useful um not putting it down but she says with, with white people agency is your ability to affect your environment and with black people it's your community's ability And in in fact, in the book, she talks about her entire community and the problems that it has because of suffering from a lack of trust. And she says, you know, we didn't trust society to provide the basics of good education or good jobs or fairness and justice. And the culture that cornered, she actually calls it cornering us, which I thought was so apt. The culture culture that cornered us and told us that we were perpetually less. And it remains, the book is really... um, a witnessing, not a call to action or an analysis. In fact, one of my favorite black writers, thinkers, essayist, Roxane Gay, um, criticized her for that. And she said, um, the prose is bursting with pain and beauty and truth, a book that everyone should read. But it doesn't do enough to rise above the grief. The culprits of these men's demise being inextricably bound to race is treated as assumption when it needs to be far more fully realized and plainly articulated and I can see that it was brought home to me really uh, The where I really saw that was when I saw the book on Goodreads and all the little white faces on the profiles the first line they said was oh this book made me cry it was such a painful read it made me cry but I think Roxanne would say don't mourn get angry yeah and um I'm
1: so aware of of my white privilege too, particularly reading this book because it made me cry too but um, it's a different world isn't it?
0: Yeah you Um, don't want to lose your energy in tears I think is what Roxane Gay is saying you know crying is an outlet and maybe it's better to not cry and to rage but I'm you know um, I think everybody has to write how they lived it and what they know and Certainly, I I think Jessamyn Ward is a younger writer and comes from a different place. And, you know, I want to say... James Baldwin two generations before so she's born in the 70s he was born in the 1920s his grandfather was a slave it's so hard to believe that a writer that I can pick up and read his books that don't seem at all antiquated was only two generations away from slavery but again speaking of white privilege I should say that only hard probably for a white person to believe that his grandfather was a slave. And, of course, also because he was a genius. But, I can put that in. but he wrote um, something which I think he could have been speaking to just Ward. He said, go back to where you started or as far back as you can, examine all of it, travel your road again and tell the truth about it. Sing or shout or testify or keep it to yourself, but know whence you came. What an amazing quote. Yeah, I um actually came across it because I recently reread Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is um I think it was his first novel. Uh you can tell already from the title. We're back to those amazing titles. Um Go Tell It on the Mountain, Their Eyes Were Watching God, uh Men We Reaped. And it's an autobiographical story in which he's talking about his terrible relationship uh with his stepfather who was a preacher. A um Mean, I'm trying to think of another word besides mean, um, in the sense of um, beatings, constantly tearing him down telling him he's ugly marked by the devil and the book is almost overwhelming in its intensity it's the way it describes his loneliness and his desire with such eloquence and you know james baldwin actually was a a child preacher for a period in his life his stepfather was indeed a preacher and he was a, a teen preacher and he took issue interestingly, with the so-called protest novel. So this, his book is is a testimonial. It's just like the testifying in church and even to the same rhythms. And he asked, so I wrote this down, whether, uh, speaking of protest novels, its power as a corrective social force is sufficient to override its deficiencies as literature. Hmm, interesting. interesting. Yeah, what an interesting... Um, and he called social realism dogmatic and sentimental and said that it does a disservice to quote the unpredictability and the occasional and amazing splendor of the human being mm. oh it's beautiful yeah it? so it's yes. really good to get yes. different points yes. of view yeah. on that, isn't it yeah so anyway speaking of different points of view moving on to different books So you've got... um... Yeah, so I've been reading um, The Underground Railroad
1: by Colson Whitehead and um, this is a wonderful book as well Um, and as we were saying before, The the Underground Railroad was um, an elaborate network of safe houses and safe routes across America Um, and, and it was used by enslaved African Americans to escape from the South and they were heading to the free states in the north and um, also to Canada. Um, and they, they do say that over 100,000 uh, enslaved people escaped via this railroad. Now, on a personal note, um, I guess this is my white privilege coming through, but I've always been um, aware of... The the Underground Railroad, um, because it's known to have passed through a a really small town in northern Indiana called Layotto. And this is the town I actually got married in. Um, So I spend a bit of time in Layotto um, every couple of years. So when I'm there, I think about the, the Underground Railroad. So this book, um, uh, it's about um, uh, a young woman who's a slave on a cotton plantation in Georgia and her name's Cora. Um, Her life is is hell Um, and a a new arrival who becomes her friend tells her about the Underground Railroad um, and they decide to embark on this really harrowing journey to try and um, get through the network and find true freedom. So this book, I really feel as though it's a masterpiece. Um, it's now it's interesting. It's a blend of history and and fantasy. It's got elements of magic realism in it because um, the, uh, Whitehead's um, underground railroad is um, in fact a, a true underground with um, tracks and and hand powered carriages so he is embroidering the truth a little bit I suppose I think some people have called it an alternate history um, and so um, it's just such a harrowing tense and really terrifying tale um, because Cora and her friend Caesar all the time they're trying to outrun the slave catchers that you know the bounty hunters that made money by by catching the slaves and returning them to where they came from on their um, with the you know the, the terrible places that they were coming from and there's this overwhelming sense of brutality running through the novel um, and but perhaps you um, The standout moment for me is a quote um, that really actually ties in with Jesmyn Ward's writing, and I'm just going to read it. It's really quick. I've got the book here, and it says, it goes a bit like this. It says, here's one delusion that we can't, that we can escape slavery. We can't. Its scars will never fade When you saw your mother sold off, your father beaten, your sister abused by some boss or master, did you ever think you would sit here today without chains, without the yoke, among a new family? Everything you ever knew told you that freedom was a trick, yet here you are. Still we run, tracking by the good full moon to sanctuary. I thought it was really beautiful. That is okay. really beautiful and, and sad, and yeah, really, yeah. really hard. Um, so, what I was just going to say, really quickly, um, Colson Whitehead's new book, *The Nickel Boys*, um, just published. Um, I've heard a lot of really great things about it, um, and they're saying commentators are saying that it's actually one of the best books of the year so i can't wait to read that one may
0: maybe for our summer vacation yeah <laughs> um yeah i i think um, the underground railroad was a uh, auckland i'm quite sure it was auckland library's top 100 yeah and um as was another book that i've recently read which was this a little bridge here, um, Washington Black? Do you know about this book by Essie oh. Edugyan? E. 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 Yes, that's how you pronounce it. Um, so this book is interesting. I, I read this after having read Jasmine Ward, and I think in a way Jasmine Ward spoiled a, b- a bit the book for me. It's beautifully written, and especially considering it's only the author's second book, she's a very young Canadian novelist. Her parents immigrated from Ghana to Canada, and the book follows the adventures of an eleven-year-old. When the book opens, he's on a plantation, working on a plantation in Barbados, slaving on a plantation in Barbados. It's not working. Um, where he's unexpectedly given this chance to escape when the eccentric brother of the owner um, notices him, abolitionist, eccentric being uh, including the fact that he's an abolitionist, um, notices him and takes him away with him because he has this ambition to build a flying ship. There's a bit of – it's interesting when you said alternate history. It's kind yeah. of a – I'm um, not really sure if i call it alternate history, but it's funny because it becomes – um, it's a captivating, as people call it. So it's got a little bit of everything. It's, it's what you might call Dickensian if it wasn't a um, if it didn't have a person of color as a hero, which sounds funny. I hope it doesn't sound too funny. But actually, you know, when he's sixteen, the ex-slave says, "I needed to." I needed it to better my circumstances. I mean, is that a Dickensian line? Sounds like Pippin' Great Expectations. does, not it? Yeah. Um, But it's just really stuffed. It's a big thick book stuffed with adventure, fantasy, romance, quirky science, uh, traveling all around the world and inspired by a true story. So, I think it's a great book for a getaway weekend or better yet getaway three days it doesn't have the strength or directness of Jessamyn Ward who might just been reading as I said and I don't think that's her intention in writing though it's not that there's no emotion it's just that she's gone for the way the boy at one point describes love in the book it's shadowy and it's painful and it's confusing Hmm. it's yeah sounds great. I'm I'm glad it's been written. Well, you're glad. So, Your Getaway Weekend? Yeah. (laughs) And you don't have Colson Whitehead's new book. But a shorter one, so this one you can read without a getaway weekend, that I want to mention quickly is um, another great book that I read by a young, gifted, and black writer is The Terrible by Ursa Daly Ward. Oh, yes. Now, is this the British woman? Yes. So, she's... It's a complicated... Her mother was Jamaican and had gone to um england with to join her parents who were already immigrated to england when she was 14 and they discovered that she was pregnant and her father was a nigerian student not on the scene with them in lancashire but back with his other family so Ursula daily ward comes out of the insta poetry movement but this is the book by which i think she showed that she has much more to offer than instagram poetry it is a memoir of this uh life that i have just just from the premise that i've given you <laughs> I think maybe get an idea but even better i can give you a better idea with this wonderful epigraph which she writes in the front as a poem and it says in love with how it happened so far even the terrible things and god there were terrible things and again, she wants to tell all her story, even the terrible things, which began when she and her little brother, whose name is Rue, in a very endearing uh moment in the book when she explains why he's called Rue are sent to live with their fundamentalist religious grandparents when Ursa becomes an adolescent and her mother didn't trust her boyfriend around her which is as you can already guess quite terrible thing to hear your mother say and um then so she and Rue tender Rue sees things in the stars and she feels things of the kind which her grandmother is always saying cut the foolishness is their first terrible change from their loving mother to the grandparents and then she breaks out of that and she has some new the terribles where she's barely managing to support herself working as a model and branches into being an escort helped along by pills and powder and eventually though she finds her voice and it's a really sharp perceptive and invigoratingly honest i'm not saying searingly just admirably honest and even funny at times and she has this wonderful credo that she gives in the book she shares with us this wonderful credo your soul arises and you let it or you don't
1: Mm, that's beautiful isn't it isn't great yeah and you know that make that quote makes me think of all the books we've talked about today and there is really that feeling of of souls arising and also look still we rise still we rise yes and look into the looking to the stars um yeah gee really powerful powerful writing that we've we've seen today um isn't it and um gosh you know it just makes me think so much about my own privilege in the world yeah so look um this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for, for sharing with me. Um, and uh, just a reminder that the, the books mentioned today will be on our show, note, show notes on the Auckland Libraries blog and that this can be accessed via the Auckland Libraries website, uh, which is aucklandlibraries.govt.nz. But it all can also be um, accessed via the Planet FM website, which is Planet Audio. .org.nz. Uh, so, I guess this brings another show to to an end. Uh, so, until next time, happy reading, everyone. Haira and kakite ano. Ka
0: brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash booksandbeyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.